This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. All right, welcome into episode 62 of Press Pass. I'm Kayla Anderson, joined by my co-host, Joshua Perry. And I apologize to our listeners out there last week. We had uh, what you would call technical difficulties. And what sucks about this, Joshua, is that was probably our best podcast that we've had. We were so stoked about it. Yeah, we. I mean, we covered a lot of topics. We kind of got, you know, in-depth on a multitude of topics, too. So uh, we'll try to give you the same energy this week. Yes, we will try to bring it for you. Uh, let's start off with the Senior Bowl. That was this past weekend with, of course, a lot of, I guess, potential NFL draft picks trying to move up the draft board. Before we get into talk of some of the guys that we saw and some of the standouts, I want to go back a little bit and just talk about that experience and really what that means to be in that game and to showcase uh, what you have in front of coaches and GMs. Yeah, it's a unique experience. It's a, a week-long whirlwind. Um, for a lot of these guys, it's uh, one of the best opportunities to really showcase their skills because after the Senior Bowl, truly, you're running around in shorts. You're, you know, at most, you're doing position drills, but you don't really get to play football. And they don't, the scouts don't get to see you up close and personal again playing football. And so it's it's really important to get the best pool of senior talent in America, the guys who are the most intriguing players all in one area at once. And I think probably especially for some of the smaller school guys, mm -hmm. this is a huge opportunity because they get to level up who they're playing against. You know, you got these guys from FCS programs in Division Two and Division Three NAIA, and even some of the guys in the non-Power 5 conferences across college football who get to play against Power 5 guys. And they get to see, you know, as a defensive back and as a D lineman, how they stack up against a quarterback like Justin Herbert. So I think that's probably the biggest part about it. And again, just the opportunity to shine face-to-face, person-to-person in front of these scouts is huge. 
And I think it's such a great opportunity on the note of that, you know, they're getting opportunity. I think that's the biggest word to use in something like the senior bowl, because no matter if you are at the top of people's lists or you're kind of in the middle or you're just somebody that not a lot of people have talked about or you haven't got a lot of attention, this is a chance that you can really have an opportunity to show like, hey, I can play ball and move up the draft. Listen, I I actually mentioned Terry McLaurin before because at Ohio State, we saw what he could do, right? But I don't think he right. was one of those guys that was on everybody's radar or that was really high in terms of the draft board. Well, after he goes to the Pro Bowl, you know, he moved up draft boards and then you look at what he's done this season as a rookie. And those are the stories that you really grow to appreciate. Yeah. And I mean, I was talking to guys, uh, you know, a year ago this time, and I was asking about some Ohio State guys, NFL scouts, I was asking. And one of the guys told me he thought Terry McLaurin was a, uh, you know, fifth round pick to potentially an undrafted free agent guy. Yeah. He thought his routes weren't very polished, didn't know about uh, if he was uh, as sure-handed as he as he's been, and the fact of the matter is, Terry was really fast and he was good on special teams. But you're not drafting a wide receiver in the second round just for yes. being fast and good on special teams. He's got to be productive. Yep. And Terry came out and proved that he could be productive against some of the best talent in America. Yeah, shout out to our guy Terry McLaurin. Keep killing it in the NFL. Okay, so let's get some of these guys that stood out to us. You know, I I guess it this is always the headlines because everybody wants to talk about the quarterback. And I will say this, um, Justin Herbert, I think, did help his draft cause uh, with with what he did in the senior bowl and his performance that he had. But also I think it was a solid week for the Utah state quarterback, Jordan love who we've heard about. And then while I don't, I don't think he'll extremely pop up the draft boards. um, Anthony Gordon from Washington state also had a a great showing there. Yeah, I agree. And and when I watch this senior bowl, personally, I'm, I'm truly evaluating the quarterbacks because, you know, everybody else is kind of weird to try to, to evaluate. Some of these guys aren't, uh, number one wide receivers, and they're going to be in a number one role. So they're kind of out of place there. Some of the linebackers aren't in their perfect scheme fit. So they're a little bit out of place. The same thing with D linemen. And the same thing with some of these defensive backs. You know, they'll ask a guy who is probably a safety to step out and play corner just to yeah. see if he can do it. So you don't necessarily get a good look. But when you're evaluating quarterbacks, you can look at the arm talent. You can look at how they read and diagnose defenses. You can look at, um, you know, just the footwork that they have, just all the, the the traits and the attributes. So I tend to agree with that. I think Justin Herbert did himself uh, nothing but favors this week, and people had questions about even his demeanor and his personality. Was he a yeah. vocal enough guy? I think he answered a lot of those questions. It's the same thing, Jordan Love. And I think he might have been some people's, you know, the the diamond out there for some people, just a, a smaller school guy, but went out and competed very hard and looked good. And like you said, Gordon as well. And I think Gordon is going to be the one now where teams maybe start doing a little bit more digging and they go back and they look at the tape and, uh, you know, might get some private workout schedule just out of his performance there. But to me, the senior bowl is definitely the quarterback show. And then uh, you get to evaluate traits for other guys too. 
for example, Wisconsin linebacker yeah. Zach Bond. Uh, he was an on-the-ball linebacker. They had him playing a little bit off the ball this week just to see if he could do it. And I know those guys love the opportunity to show off that yeah, well, way, too. Yeah, I was impressed by his his capabilities as well, um, like you said, coming out of Wisconsin. And then another guy, talking about receivers. Man, oh, man, Joshua, this uh, draft is jam-packed with some really talented receivers. And Ohio State's K.J. Hill had a spectacular game. Yes, he did. And, and the week in practice, too. Uh, you go to Twitter, and I know I've gotten Ohio State bias, but even when you look at some of the draft analysts, they were posting videos of him on Twitter, and he was toasting guys. His uh, mechanics and his route running were fantastic, and I think it's not just necessarily he's, – he's not a great athlete, but it is the separation that he can create through yeah. the mechanics – and when I say that, I'm talking about his breaks. He, he doesn't waste a lot of movement. Uh, he gives really good head and shoulders fakes. Um, he can sell, understanding leverage of the defender and then selling what route he wants the defender to think it is. He does a great job of that. And those are all things that transfer into the NFL. Because if you're KJ Hill, not necessarily mm-hmm. the biggest guy, definitely not the fastest guy out there. But if you can create a way to get open, then you've created yourself a job. We saw the Senior Bowl, and some of these guys started to build their stock a little bit. But now becomes the, the I guess, transforming into what is going to be the Pro Day and the Combine and all of these big-time things that's going to be important for a lot of these guys before the NFL draft. So you've gone through this, Joshua. Uh, if you guys don't know, Joshua Perry played football, of course, college football at Ohio State, a linebacker there, and also played professionally. And you were at the Combine. You obviously uh, had Pro Day. So let's talk about what these guys go through when it comes to preparing for things like this. Yeah, it's, um, it is unlike anything else they'll prepare for. And basically, they're getting ready to do the underwear Olympics. They're going to be running around shirtless, you know, just <laughs> tights on and um, they'll, they'll do football yeah. drills, but they really won't be playing football. I mean, this is as, as far away from football as you can get while still being football adjacent. And so a lot of these cats are, have already gone to their training facilities, warm weather climates. Typically you're looking at, uh, Southern California, Arizona, Texas, Florida, uh, where most of these guys end up going and they'll train with these gurus. And these guys are the best guys in developing speed and teaching you how to run a 40 and, you know, the, the first step of your race, mm-hmm. which is the most ridiculous thing I've heard and all these kinds of things. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's really to put your best foot forward when you're running the 40 and a lot of people put weight in it. A lot of NFL guys do. It's a very fast league nowadays, but it's not football. And with that training, you also get the position training, you know, where they'll bring in a, an old retired coach who will help you go through position drills. Um, a lot of these guys, for example, this was me where I knew I was, I was what I was running. I was fast in a straight line, but I needed agility work. So they'll have agility coaches out there. I also needed to have a good enough bench press. Um, I've got long arms. I was one of the, the longer arm linebackers out there. So mm-hmm. my bench press was never going to be great, but I was like, let me get 20 reps. I think I got 20 reps. And I was like, that's good enough. And and that's what these guys yeah. are hoping for. Basically, at the combine, you want to check boxes. So if they think you're, you know, for me, it was, let me be a mid four six forty guy. And that would check the box. And that's what I yep. did. And, you know, let me be 120 inches in the broad jump. And I'll do 124. That checks the box. And I need 20 reps on the bench press just to check the box. Because these teams know who you are. 
They've watched enough tape. They've done enough investigating. Sure. And so the last thing you would want to do is they think that you're a mid four six forty guy and you end up running a, a four point eight forty. Like they they got to go and they got to look at the film again and see why you ran so slow and if you really yeah. are that slow in person. So uh, it's very unique. It's very stressful. It's the most stressful thing. And I think yeah. a lot of players regress in terms of how good of football players they are because they're worried about running track for the next month and a half, two months of their life. And then as soon as they're drafted or as soon as they sign a uh, contract with the team, they got to go back to playing football, which they haven't done in months. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective is, you know, it is so much about numbers, which is which is obviously a part of the NFL and the next level is, you, you know, you get paid based off of what you do every year in your numbers. But at the same time, it's, it's, this is metrics. It's a little bit different. And you spoke about the 40 and how much emphasis is put on it. So, you know, how do you improve a 40 time? Because we've seen that guys have gone out there that we didn't think would run a certain 40. They get out there, they run a 40. We're all like, whoa. And there they go shooting up, you know, the draft. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I love the way you phrase it is how do you improve a 40 time? Because I don't necessarily think that any of these guys get faster. They just learn how to run better. Yeah. And so they take out wasted movement. They run with better technique and better mechanics. They run more efficiently and it translates into a 40. But the reality of the situation is wide receiver is not going to start in a three-point stance in football. Uh, wide receiver doesn't have a drive phase and a cycle phase within their route. They've got to be able to accelerate extremely quickly. They got to be able to come to almost a complete stop. And then they have to accelerate out of that stop as quickly as they can to create separation. And so again, like there are a lot of things you get. And I coached track that that was one of my first loves. I was a pretty decent track yeah. athlete. That's, that's what I do in the spring. And um, there are absolute ways to teach talented runners how to to become faster in a, a short amount of time. But the fact of the matter is that they were talented runners. And the other fact of the matter is in football, that doesn't necessarily translate into being a better football player, a better route runner, a better yeah. linebacker, whatever it is. Um, it's just a baseline for people to understand where your talent level is at. What is the, I guess, the mental part of preparing for things like this? We, we talk about the physical, which is a big part of it. But there's also everything that goes in mentally. And you said, you know, it's stressful. And, and then you're meeting with with these big time, you know, general managers and, and, and coaches. And some guys aren't like you, Joshua, where you are a, you know, a natural born leader. You've done very well throughout your career in terms of just, you know, you've never gotten into trouble. Um, you're somebody that they can count on. But there's a lot of guys that you can't really always say that about. And sometimes this is their chance to maybe get a little bit of a fresh Yeah, and start. so there, there, there are two different mental battles you're, you're playing. It's number one, just like the stress and anxiety of it, you know, just kind of the presentation of yourself and putting your best foot forward. And then there's like the football mental aspect. So I'll, I'll hit kind of the stress and anxiety. It's going to be stressful. I think they try to help you understand that during your training. And they provide ample free time and people to talk to in case you're a high stress, high anxiety kind of person to be able to cope with those things. But the reality of the situation is the more you prepare, the less stress you feel. And I think the the better you have carried yourself and have done things, the less stressful you'll feel. Because I didn't feel like I was in a position where I was going to get asked too many hard questions, where somebody was going to be able to, you know, kind of take it there with me because there was no, there was nowhere to take it. I was, you know, I, I, 
was a good kid. I didn't have my first sip of alcohol until I was like 20, almost 21 years old. Like I, I pretty much did things. Yeah. That's amazing, Joshua. Like I, I did most of the things by the book. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't hang out too much. I was very respectful to just about everybody I ever met. Yep. And so I felt very prepared to talk to people about my personal life and about kind of leader and about what kind of person I was. Now, there are guys who do dirt in private and never get caught. And that comes out a lot of times because these people do their research and they ask everybody everything. And they have to face those questions probably for the first time ever. And then there are just guys who flat out, you know who they are, they've been in trouble. And it might be a little bit easier for those guys, honestly, because they could be like, listen, I'm an open book. Everybody's read about uh, my transgressions and all the bad things that I've done. So ask away, like I'm ready to face those because I've had to face them before. Um, you know, for some guys, if it's sitting in a courtroom or some guys, if you've been suspended, like you face the the negative things that you've done head on for other guys who haven't faced right. it, it's probably a little bit tougher there. And then, so just handling all that is rough, but then you have the football aspect too, where uh, some guys can be as smart and well-spoken Ooh. and have great presentation and great charisma and struggle with X's and O's and you'll get exposed Yeah, because you have to understand football in the NFL. The inventory is high. The playbooks are generally big. The terminology, um, it's just everything. And then even if, for example, as a linebacker, like even if our playbook isn't necessarily big, the offense we might be facing that week might have a big inventory of plays and concepts that they like to run that we have to be prepared for. And so they don't care necessarily how great you present and how smart of a guy you are in terms of GPA, if you don't know football, it doesn't matter. And I've met plenty of guys who struggle to verbalize and put together a coherent sentence sometimes. And um, they might not have been the best students, whether it was because they were disinterested or just because like, you know, academically, they weren't that smart. They're football players, natural. They understand the game. They're very interested and immersed in it. And they do very well. And that's where I think the NFL does a great job where, you know, if you can play ball and you know ball, they'll find a place for you. It doesn't matter. You know, some of these guys and you you and me being in the media, we know it. We get guys yeah. in post-game interviews and you're having trouble understanding what they're yeah. trying to say. But those guys go out there and they ball out every week. And that's all the NFL cares about. Yeah. And, not, and I say this all the time because I've covered uh, the Tennessee Titans here the last three seasons. And every personality is different in the locker room. And I think sometimes that the media doesn't always look at it the way they should, because not every athlete is gonna gonna be an interview that you want, and necessarily, you know that that you're like, okay, well, I expect them to be this because they do this on the right. field, right? Not everyone's gonna be that in the locker room, and but yet they have to talk. So I think sometimes I try to like just tell people, hey, look. They have their own personality. You got to just respect it. You know, we have to talk to them. Sure. Not, they're not going to always give you the greatest answers, but people are just wired different. And and I just try to kind of step back sometimes and, and think about that. You know, not everybody was born to be, you know, talking to the media and being so charismatic, but they can go on the field and they do what they do. Um, so I just thought that was a good point connecting it with what you were saying. Yeah. And and that's the deal. I think it's, uh, you know, for we're, we're doing two different jobs. Like NFL people are trying to get the best product out there on the field. You know, they want to win games. And then for us, we're, we're trying to create programming. And so our mix of programming is we want to get the hottest names, but they also have to produce really good content for us. Like there's no point in having 
a hot name out there whose content is lackluster because that's bad TV on our part. Right. And it's it's just so unique. Like I, this is what I love about being on the other side of sports now is I have a lot of people who work in personnel for NFL teams in college teams. I've been a player and now I get to see how all of that marries together with what we do in media. And it's just so unique. Yeah. And that's people like you too. Um, I, I respect a lot of, of the former players that are in the media right now, but there are also some players that I'm like, what are you doing with a microphone yes. sitting in front of a camera? Okay. So I, I respect guys like you that kind of appreciate both sides and, and know how to do it on both sides. Okay, let's chat a little bit about building a staff and when it comes to college football. And I, I want to start with just the news of somebody who is here in Tennessee, who I covered the last couple of seasons, uh, defensive backs coach Kerry Combs, who announced this past week that um, he's going back to Ohio State to become the defensive coordinator. Congrats to him and his family. Um, I'm such a big fan of Kerry. I covered him at Ohio State when you were there, when he was the DB's coach there. Then he, of course, comes to Tennessee with Mike Vrabel to join the staff. Done a phenomenal job with these NFL players. And I say that because it's not always the case when you go from college to the NFL and you can kind of make that seamless transition because like Logan Ryan said, who's a cornerback for the Titans, we've got pro bowlers here. We've got Super Bowl, you know, winners. We've got some divas and Kerry Combs was able to come in and handle us the way he handled us. We loved him. He brought so much energy every day. And that right there says a lot when your players speak about you in that capacity. But you know, now Kerry's going back to be the defensive coordinator. And to me, I mean, that is a huge gain for the Buckeyes. And I know everybody was just praying that he was going to come back. Yeah. And Kerry Combs just, I, I, I played for him when I was at Ohio state all four years. And uh, he was our freshman liaison my freshman year. So they have a coach that they assigned to each recruiting class and they're like the go-to oh, wow. point person. And he was that guy. And I remember when I was getting recruited, when I first started getting recruited, uh, Cincinnati was one of the schools I took a visit to. And he was the same guy when he was coaching at UC as he was at Ohio State. Yeah. And um, he was he was a very honest coach. And I think that's why he was able to break through into the NFL and be welcomed with open arms by players who wouldn't necessarily accept that type of coaching in the NFL. Yeah. Is You knew Kerry was going to help you achieve your goals. And you knew he was always going to be honest with you every step of the way. So even if that meant that you were an undrafted free agent or a veteran guy who probably wasn't going to make it out of training camp, he was going to help you refine your skill and put the best yep. version of you on tape so you could try to get a job somewhere else. I always loved that about him. And it, like the interesting thing about Kerry Combs, too, was he wasn't even the first choice for the cornerback's job at Ohio State. Urban Meyer had hired Bill Sheridan, who had coached in the NFL, I think he went from Ohio State like in two weeks to the Detroit Lions. They offered him a job. But he was with Greg Schiano, I believe, in Tampa Bay. Anyway, yeah, Urban hired Bill Sheridan. That was going to be the cornerback's coach at Ohio State. Jeez. And he decided to take a different job. And Kerry Combs was the guy that they went after. Great high school relationships, an Ohio guy, um, very well respected. And it, it ended up working out for the best, Kerry then took a leap of faith, probably betting on himself, maybe 
wanted to see, is the NFL the place for me? You know, would I regret never having coached there? Did a great job in the NFL. And now he's back as the defensive coordinator. And the thing about Kerry Combs is I don't know if Kerry Combs is the best X and O guy in America. I don't know if Kerry Combs is a football guru. But what I can I touch on that real yes, quick, yes. real quick, just it, just because I don't want to lose my train of thought. Go ahead. Logan Ryan said as he was cleaning out his locker, he said Carrie wouldn't always. He would bring some things, and and we had to tell Carrie, look, that's not going to work. And the thing about Carrie that he said is Carrie was like, okay, that's fine. So you're exactly right. Yeah. I mean, that's coming from one of his secondary best players. Yeah, and 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 let me piggyback off of that. That's humble. I'll tell you right yeah. now. And like I'm, I'm sitting here thinking that kind of gave me goosebumps. Where you said, you know, somebody's telling him that's not going to work, and he said, okay, that's fine. We'll do something else. Because I've been in rooms where, and not in college, because Luke Fickle was absolutely that. And Luke Fickle was a great X and O guy. But if we said coach. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't think that blitz is going to work. The timing's <laughs> not right. Like, coach, I, I I don't think if you call that in the middle of a drive that we're going to have the, the juice to execute it, he'd be like, we'll toss it out. I was in the NFL, and we would approach coaches and be like, coach, we don't like this scheme, or we don't think this is putting us in a great position. And they'll be like, I don't give a damn. I'm running my defense. Right. You're going to run it. And one of those teams, I mean, we're 4-12, and 12, and there's a reason why. And so in saying that, I think Kerry understands, too, that he's not necessarily the X and O guy. Um, he's not going to try to overreach and overstep his boundaries with that. But what he's going to do is he's going to be a great technical coach. He's going to have guys with the best technique in America. Like, those will be the best coach defensive backs, period. And yep. he'll have a, a team that's bought in and invested and that trusts him and he trusts them and they love each other. And that's all you want in college football. Yeah, I'm excited to see um, Carrie back up there. Of course, just have so much love there in Ohio. Um, the, here's the thing with the um, building of staff, Joshua, because we, in our podcast that never aired, <laughs> we, <laughs> technical difficulties. I hope, I wish we could just like have that like streaming across here. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you, you spoke highly about, you know, just what it takes to build a staff now in college football because. I think it's taken for granted sometimes because the amount of movement nowadays in college football is like extraordinary. Yes. I mean, we're seeing guys leave every year, not necessarily always the head coaches, but offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, some of these big positions. Uh, how, you know, what does it take now to build a staff um, year in and year out? So a wonderful question. And I think the biggest piece of building a staff is the relationship aspect. Mm -hmm. Coaches want to hit surefire hires. So they want people within their networks. They want people preferably that they know and that they've coached with before. But if not, they want to be able to take recommendations from people that they've trust that they trust and that they've coached with and that they know. Um, so they don't miss on a guy and they don't bring somebody in who's not a fit for the program. And I'm not saying this guy wasn't necessarily a fit for the program, but like the guy that was kind of the the odd man out that didn't necessarily have the the network on Ohio State's previous staff was Mike Yersich. And he's gone after a year yep. because they said he wasn't necessarily the recruiter that they thought he was going to be. And um, offensively, the philosophies might have they might have collided a little bit. And so he went to Texas. Now, Texas probably is a better fit for him. He's from that area. Um, he's recruited that area before. So it makes a little bit more sense. With that, they hire Corey Dennis now. A lot of people, who in the hell is Corey Dennis? Well, Corey Dennis is a guy who was a GA at Ohio State. 
Then he became a quality control analyst at Ohio State. And then he became the senior offensive quality control analyst and worked very closely with the quarterbacks. Um, He did so when Urban Meyer was suspended and Ryan Day had to take over as interim head coach. He worked with the quarterbacks during that time. What are his qualifications? His father was a coach and athletic director. I think most recently athletic director at Troy. So he's a sports guy, grew up in sports, played football at Georgia Tech, and he's Urban Meyer's son-in-law. Very familiar with the program. Um, Obviously has one of the greatest mentors to ever be a mentor. And so it makes sense. There's continuity there. That's going within your network to hire a coach. Boston College just fired Steve Adazio. Yes. And they made their hire was Jeff Halfley. Jeff Halfley came from Ohio State. Um, He had been previously at San Francisco with Ryan Day. Ryan Day had Boston College ties. Boston College's athletic director was at Ohio State. So there was just a unique opportunity, again, to go kind of within network to make the hire. Jeff Halfley brings Matt Thurin, who is a – he was a quality control coach for defense with him to coach special teams. He got Vince Ogobase, who was at Ohio State when I was there as a graduate assistant working for Larry Johnson. So he's coaching D-line there. Vince was also a, I think, a quality control coach in San Francisco. So there was probably some overlap there. And then they bring Phil Matus, who's a strength coach at Ohio State. He was a strength coach when I was there, assistant. Um, He's going to be their head guy. So obviously hiring within network. Steve Adazio, talk about that guy. So Steve Uh Adazio got fired. Colorado State hired him. Steve hires his son, Louie, to coach the offensive line. He was getting ready to hire Corey Dennis to coach his quarterbacks when Corey stayed at Ohio State. Um, but he hired Chuck Heater, who was the defensive coordinator at Florida when Steve was at Florida uh, as the offensive coordinator. So there was overlap there. But I wouldn't be surprised if there were more hires from that Urban Meyer tree because yeah. Steve Dazio's an Urban Meyer guy. Obviously, Chuck Heater came from that. And the interesting thing about that was there was another candidate for that Colorado State job who's a former player. He's a, a very high-level coach in Division One football right now at a Power 5 school who got passed over from uh, for that job off of a recommendation and from a search committee to pick Steve Adazio. And I think there was some politics involved with that. And so in saying that, not only uh, do coaches like to go in-network and athletic directors like to go kind of in-network to hire, but there there's a political game behind it too where people want to see their people succeed and they want to put those – the infrastructure in place so their people can ascend at a more rapid rate. And um, it, I think it it's a detriment to folks who aren't, you know, necessarily football people. Like if you don't have a lineage in football where, you know, your dad or your uncle or whoever, you're not from a football family. Um, if you never played at a division one school, you know, it's a little bit harder. If you're a guy who was a, a D3 player, it's going to be harder to transition into division one football because yeah. you don't have any ties unless, you know, your D3 coach ends up being a division one coach somewhere eventually. And then it's the same thing with the Rooney rule in the NFL, where they try to get qualified minority coaches interviews. There's a lot of politics in that too. Oh, but yeah. A lot of the minority coaches coach D line, for example, uh, where they're not necessarily heavily involved in game plan. Same thing, running backs or wide receiver coaches, um, not necessarily involved in game plan. Like you want to be the linebacker coach or the secondary coach, or you want to be the quarterback coach or the offensive line coach, because they're the the ones that become coordinators. It's a similar thing in college football. There are less barriers, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's, you know, that's a thing. And so 
you could say the same thing with the NFL struggling to get minorities in these roles where they're actually taken seriously for coaching positions. College football is a similar way, and it's not because they're not necessarily getting the interviews. It's because they don't necessarily have the pedigree, uh, and they don't come from these coaching families, and they don't have some of these ties that other coaches have. So there's, I, I'm always cognizant when I watch these hires to see where some of the smaller name guys fall into place, where some of these guys who aren't football lifers fall into place, where some of these guys who are minority candidates fall into place because there's so many moving pieces. And it seems like we see a lot of the same coaches over and over get recycled while there might be well-qualified coaches that get passed over. And you always want to ask the question, why? Well, that's a great, great point that you touch on because I watch this all the time with, you know, I've, I've been doing this in sports broadcasting, uh, anchoring and reporting and hosting for the last 13 years. And I've been a lot of places and the amount of, you know, coaches you see get recycled and just, you know, they might not last here, but they're going to get a head coaching job here. Or it's, it's incredible. And I'm not saying that you can't get other chances. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But sometimes you don't deserve certain positions maybe just because, you had that tire because you did it once before somewhere else or twice before somewhere else. Sometimes you're maybe just not the kind of person who can be a head coach, right? Um, right. Or, or at that level. And it always does amaze me because I, again, love giving people second chances. Sometimes, hey, want a third chance? Okay. But the amount of times we're seeing coaches recycled and people recycled. And this, this comes over to my business, um, our business yes, of sports broadcasting. And I guess this hits home for me a little bit because I kind of have a chip on my shoulder in this career because I have worked my butt off, uh, done everything you can do, moved seven times, made no money to, to try to get to the top. Um, but I don't have any lineage. Right. My dad didn't play sports or played sports, but not at a collegiate level. My mom, you know, same thing. But right. we were a diehard family who loved sports and I grew right. up with it. So it's just tough sometimes because I don't have that connection there, but I've done everything to build everything else. But then you're sitting here saying, hey, why don't we just get some new faces in there? Raising my hand like, Instead of recycling so and so from ESPN that went to Fox that went to NBC, exactly. hey, here I am. Like, you want to give me a right. try? <laughs> no, it's it's so tough. I and, get and that. I'm, yeah, and I'm 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 like you. I'm I'm not necessarily. I, I say it funny like this. I'm not a fan of of nepotism or cronyism until it helps me, and I'm in a place where I can I can do that. So mm-hmm. when I can hire you know, my future kids and I can hire my, my family and friends and I'll be a fan of it. Now, yeah. that's not to ignore the fact that the reason that I was able to get the Big Ten Network opportunity is because I was, you know, a player at Ohio State, one of the Big Ten's biggest fan bases. I was a starter there. I played in the NFL. Like I, I have that pedigree and that's why I get a job like that. But sure. I'm not necessarily a fan of that kind of stuff. And my dad is unique because he was with his company for 31 years. He was very well respected. And if I ever needed a job with them, they would hire me. And, you know, I'm very familiar with a lot of that personnel because my dad, I used to love going to work with him. And I feel like I would be okay. Most black people aren't in a position to do that. My mom certainly isn't. She's black and she's a woman. Um, She works in a school, but like her family has 
they don't, they've never worked at any, you know, blue blood companies in any type of high level capacity. They don't have a network. They don't have connections like that. So it's not like I could lean on her family for that. And outside of my father uh, being in business where he was, you know, he had a sister is a couple years older than him. She's now deceased, uh, but she was an educator and his younger sister is an educator and his youngest sister is a psychologist. So it's not like necessarily we we would have an opportunity to do things like that. And you see it in business all the time where I've got friends I grew up with where it's like, yeah, you know, um, my dad's of this and my uncle's of this. And when I'm done with school, I'm going to work for one of them. I'm like, more power to you. I, you know, I wish more people were in positions to do that. Um, typically, you know, minorities, it's harder to be in those positions. Mm -hmm. Typically we're not. And then for women, there are so many barriers anyway, uh, especially in sports. Like we're, we're more open to it nowadays, thankfully, but like you, I feel like you have to bend over backwards. You have to jump through hoops. And then there are always going to be those people, which really bothers me who ask, were you really qualified or was there another reason that they hired you? Yeah. And I, I hate feeling like I'm the token wherever I'm at, you know, like the token black person. Yeah. I was with this company when I first retired and I'm, I was, you know, 24 years old and the only black person in the office. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, am I here because I used to be a celebrity or am I here because they actually value what I bring to the business? And I couldn't imagine being a woman and saying, okay, am I here because I'm a woman and I'm pretty yeah. or am I here because they value my brain and what I value, what I provide to the company. So you know, it's, it's, it's always tough. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, that's what makes this business. Uh, it, it, and again, it relates to, you know, what I do as a broadcaster and the, and you know, the people I cover, it, it's just, it's relatable both ways. And so it's, it's a challenge in this business, but at the same time, you just have to just keep pushing through, just keep grinding and uh, think that, you know, the timing is going to happen at some point. Cause for everybody, um, you know, coaches, players, timing is always is always a part of it. So I always think about that too as being a positive. Sometime, definitely. <laughs> um, definitely. Well, hopefully, we captured about everything that you know we had touched on in the episode that uh, did not air <laughs> last week. Again, I, uh, hope, so I too. hope I haven't touched <laughs> on that enough. But just wanted to let everybody know that we did have something last week. But yeah, no, I. <laughs> I think uh, I think that this was this was fun, and we we're gonna try to do now that we don't have games really necessarily to break down in each and every week for the next uh, several months. We're gonna try to have fun with it, uh, showcase our personalities a little bit because that's what a podcast is for, right? We yes, and we're both opinionated, which I love. And you being a player, I just think there's so much that we can dive into uh, leading up to the draft and everything. I think that's gonna be really fun. So. Make sure that you follow us. Uh, go to iTunes. It's super easy. Just type in Press Pass and then subscribe. And we would also love you dearly if you gave us a rate and review. Uh, you can follow me at Kayla Anderson TV on Twitter and on Instagram. And where can the peeps go to find you, Joshua? They can go to my Twitter and Instagram at RIP underscore JEP. Um, love the conversation that y'all bring. And I really appreciate interacting. Kayla, before we go, yes, I feel like we need to, to touch on this. We're, we, we talk football here, but uh, yes. Kobe Bryant and yes. his um, 13 year old daughter, Gigi tragically passed over the weekend in a, yep. um, a helicopter crash. And there were nine people on there 
including the pilot that all perished. Yeah. Uh, they hit the the side of a, a mountain, some dense fog, and it was just it's, it's an absolute tragedy. But um, I, I want to hit on a couple of things with that. Is first off, uh, my time in the NFL, I was in Southern California, and we transitioned from San Diego to Los Angeles, but our home base was in Costa Mesa in Orange County, and uh, you know I I made a lot of great connections uh, with people in in Corona Del Mar and Newport and Costa Mesa. And that it really, it, it, it hits home there, just yeah. knowing that community and the, and the people there. You know, I think three of the people that perished had ties to Orange Coast College. Yes. And that was where we held training camp when I was with the Chargers. And so I know that's a tight community there. I know those people are hurting right now. Um, they lost their baseball coach. And I, I could not imagine losing any of my coaches in any type of way, but something so tragic like that. Uh, has to hurt the hearts of of the players, the assistant coaches, but also the university in general. I've I've got family friends who are in that area, and uh, I, I talk to some of them, and um, it's it's really hard for them to to process. And just from my experience, the relationship I had with my dad, I know if I were um, any of of Kobe's three other daughters um, that survived him. I, I just don't know. Yeah. I, I I mean, it's it's hard to to verbalize uh, what that would mean. And, um, you know, to his wife, Vanessa, too, um, you know, they publicly had been through a lot. Yeah. And they were, it seemed like they were in a place where, you know, they were just totally in love with each other and, and had overcome some of their pr- public yeah. trials that, you know, may have hurt the relationship in the past. And now to have to deal with this with a newborn child, mind you is rough. But another aspect I want to hit is just the personal aspect. And for me, Kobe was uh, one of those transcendent players. He's a legend, obviously, and one of the most recognizable names and faces in the world. And my first year of travel basketball, I wore crazy eight Adidas sneakers. (laughs) And they used to be called the KB8s, Kobe Bryant. That was the shoe that he wore uh, when he was contracted with Adidas. And then he switched over to Nike, but they kept producing the shoe. And uh, it was... I mean, he's an icon. I wanted to be like him. This was, you know, before LeBron was what LeBron really is um, when I was a hooper. And um, it meant a lot. But also now the emotion to see such a transcendent figure, um, somebody who would be in the category of untouchable to perish in such a tragic way. And it teaches you that fate and specifically death does not discriminate, does not care uh, man or woman, black or white, rich or poor, young or old. It does not it does not matter. Any of us are vulnerable to the facts of life and uh, seeing some of the conversation that's being had now, uh, because this hits a lot of people, my, I'm 25. It hits a lot of people of all ages, but like we got to watch Kobe in his prime and for black men, my age to be having such emotional conversations publicly on social media and among their friends um, about somebody who they never really knew, but was that impactful on their life, I think is really important. And I'm, I'm, you know, out of this tragedy, I'm glad we're able to have those conversations about vulnerability and emotional and being emotional and, and mental health, um, how these people are going to cope and how families are going to cope and how fans are going to cope because it's a big deal. But, uh, you know, I, I would hate to just gloss over that because this is a, you know, an event that none of us would have ever wanted to see happen, but it's so impactful because of the impact that Kobe Bryant had on our lives, on sports, on, on everything. And that's the thing. Um, you know, I clearly was a Kobe Bryant fan uh, growing up uh, on the West coast, especially 
been able to watch him my whole entire career I'm or life. I'm glad I was able to be in that generation that saw him play. And I think the biggest thing that you see, uh, unfortunately, out of tragedy like this is just how almost the world comes together. It, it, as weird as mm-hmm. that sounds, um, you know, it doesn't discriminate who the person is, the ethnicity, where in the world they live. It's, you know, it's bringing conversations. It's bringing, you know, people saying, Hey, look, you got to realize that, you know, life is not guaranteed. And, um, at any point, you know, it can be tragically taken away like this. And you have to realize that you have to learn something from a tragedy like this as well. But Kobe Bryant, I think just touched so many different people. It it doesn't matter if you played basketball or not, or even were a fan of basketball. I mean, you saw the amount of people that were talking about him yesterday and just the, um, I guess, the things that were on Twitter and uh, it didn't matter what sport or anything. It was just people were going there to, to say, thank you, Kobe, for, you know, what you've done. And it's unfortunate. And um, I wish, you know, that that this would never have happened, but, you know, prayers to his family Mm -hmm. and to the other families um, that were involved in that. It's going to be a tough time. Um, but you know, they have God with them and, um, and Kobe's looking down at all of us now. All right. Well, that will do it for this episode of press pass. Uh, got a little emotional there at the end, but Hey, yeah, it was a little, a little somber, but you know, that's again, that's life. We can't, you know, you can't fake the funk there. It's that's the real deal. Um, you can obviously, like we said, go and subscribe. So definitely do that. We will be back here, same place, same time next week. We hope that you guys definitely tune in. Have a great week and uh, hopefully a little bit better um, than this past week. Make it a good one, guys.